there. Welcome to the Real World NP Podcast. I'm Liz Rohr, family nurse practitioner, educator, and founder of Real World NP, an educational company for nurse practitioners in primary care. I'm on a mission to equip and guide new nurse practitioners so that they can feel confident, capable, and take the best care of their patients. If you're looking for clinical pearls and practice tips without the fluff, you're in the right place. Make sure you subscribe and leave a review so you won't miss an episode. Plus, you'll find links to all the episodes with extra goodies over at realworldnp.com slash podcast. Well, hey there, it's Liz Rohr from Real World NP, and you're watching NP Practice Made Simple, the weekly video series to help save you time, frustration, and help you learn more faster so you can take the best care of your patients, because that's what we all want, right? So today I want to talk to you about high calcium. I know lab interpretation uh, as a new grad is really confusing. It was for me, um, and it's definitely coming up as a topic for uh, a lot of new grads that I've talked to. So I wanna focus on calcium today, high calcium, and really break it down into three simple steps of investigation and workup. And I'm gonna do it by using a case study, a really interesting case study of my first year. Quick note is that I wanna keep it interesting, concise, and brief, because I know that you're really busy. So. It's a little bit of a longer video today, but I've really kept it straight to the point without any fluff. So I hope it's really helpful. One more quick note is that it is a case study and patients are not one dimensional so that there are many moving parts to this case. I'm really gonna focus on one aspect of it and touch on some of the other management aspects. If there's a topic in particular that you wanna hear more about, definitely leave me a comment below with the topic or question that you have. And hopefully I've made it um, as clear and concise uh, as I can. So without further ado, I'm going to share my screen with you. All right, so let's get started. So this is the hypercalcemia case study. We're going to start with Laura. She's 36 years old. She's a new patient to the clinic. The PHI personal health information has been removed. This is not her real name or her photo. She's a little too happy, uh, unfortunately, based on her clinical scenario, but no, that is not her. So um, Laura is a 36 year old uh, female, new patient to the clinic. She's there to establish care. She has never been there before. She's coming from a different clinic. She got her health care at a different clinic a couple years ago. So she's actually here for an ER follow-up. She had a DVT and it's her first one she's ever had. She's on a Lovenox bridge until she's therapeutic with her Coumadin with a goal of INR two to three. If you don't uh, know what a Lovenox bridge is or you haven't heard of it before, it's when patients will get Lovenox and Coumadin at the same time until their INR is in, within goal, and then you stop the Lovenox um, bridge. So she's a former smoker. She smoked half a pack a day, and she just stopped. Uh, she was a little scared by the DVT, I think. So she's taking Queen Anne's Lace Herbal Supplement for Contraception. So this was actually the first time I've heard of this, and it's not common at all. Um, this is her words. I've never seen any recommendations about this. Uh, I could say a lot of things about this, but uh, let's stay focused for, for today. Um, her past medical history is only significant for a therapeutic abortion a few years ago. Uh, no past surgical history, family history that she knows of. And she's actually active with one male partner and they're monogamous and she's a working professional. She works a nine to five job. Um, so the plan, we're going to check her labs we're going to check that her INR is uh, therapeutic or not and see if she can stop that Lovenox. We're going to check a CBC today because 
we don't have any labs from the hospital and we want to get a baseline hematocrit and hemoglobin because of the risk of bleeding for Coumadin. And I'm also going to get a CMP for her because I want to get her baseline renal and liver function. Most likely it's normal because she's presumably a healthy 36-year-old female aside from this DVT, but it's, it's important to, to check that. And I didn't have any records from the hospital. So today I'm going to focus on hypercalcemia specifically, but I'll touch on the other components of holistic care at the end because clearly we're not just focusing on one thing when we're with a patient. So here are her lab results. Surprise, her calcium is high. You probably saw that coming. Uh, so right here, oops, I'm going to get my little pointer going. So right here is going to be the uh, BMP, basic metabolic panel. Um, you've got your renal function, uh, calcium is high, carbon dioxide, uh, creatinine, GFR, renal function is normal. I spliced it over here with the uh, abbreviated CDC because uh, I wanted it to fit all on one slide, but her potassium is normal, her sodium is normal. Hematocrit and hemoglobin, also baseline normal, so that's a good thing in case later we check it and it's lower, she could have a risk for bleeding somewhere because of the Coumadin. So uh, platelets are normal, white blood, cell, white blood cells are normal. Her INR is showing up as abnormal at 2.1 because it's greater than the expected 1.1, but it's actually normal for her, as you saw before. We're looking for a goal of two to three for her Coumadin. And another note is that her hepatic panel is also normal. I didn't include it again because I wanted it to fit on one slide, but her albumin, her protein is normal at 3.7, which will be important in a moment. So for hypercalcemia, I want this to be really easy. I want it to be the three steps that you automatically think of when you see a high calcium level. So step number one, is it truly high? So calcium is bound to protein. Um, and so you need to correct for the albumin level. So if you have low albumin, you're going to have a superficially low calcium and vice versa. If you have a high albumin, you're going to have a higher uh, calcium level, which is not necessarily concerning. So you're going to use a calcium correction calculator. On the ultimate resource guide, there's a, a MD Calc is one of the apps that you can download um, or you can just Google it uh, and see uh, what the actual corrected calcium is. And then the other thing is that ex expert opinion um, based on no randomized controlled trials, but expert level of evidence. Um, and this is kind of consensus. I see this all the time and, and I recommend it as well. Even though I'm not super fond of that level of evidence, it's not as strong as a meta-analysis, of course. However, uh, it's recommended to repeat the test and make sure to confirm that this calcium is truly high with another repeated BMP with the albumin or a complete metabolic, metabolic panel that includes the albumin. Or you can repeat it with an ionized calcium, which is a little bit more of a specific test that's available with your laboratory. It's not in my current clinic, unfortunately, but I have used that in the past. So step one, is it really high? You rechecked it, you confirmed it, it is actually high. Number two is how high is it? And it's actually not quite number two because you have to think about this at the same time as step number one of the, is it truly high? Because if it's super high and it's, and it's the first lab, I'm going to be more concerned about that. And I'm probably not going to wait to recheck it depending on the picture. So just stick with me for a second. So how high is it? So the normal range for calcium, and this is dependent on your laboratory, but typically is 8.3 to 10.3. So if it's greater than 14 with your calcium correction score, or you did, a re, you did an ionized calcium and it's greater than 10, and the normal for that is up to 4.9, um, and or they're symptomatic, um, they need to go to the ER because that's really concerning. We should correct that pretty quickly um, with some IV fluids. And a, a, a quick reminder about symptoms of high calcium, that's confusion, 
feeling thirsty all the time, peeing all the time, you know, dehydration, lack of appetite, nausea, uh, muscle weakness, a little bit vague symptoms, but something to think about. So is it truly high? How high is it? Is it less than 14? And is it confirmed that it's actually a repeat uh, true high score with the corrected calcium score? Um, and then two causes. So pretty easy here, right? So 90% of all cases, more than 90% actually, are going to be from two different things. 90%, uh, number one is going to be primary hyperparathyroidism. Uh, that's just across the board. That's going to be your number one. And number two is cancer. So that's really concerning. So you should really not dismiss high calcium, you know, 90% hyperparathyroid and cancer, really pretty easy. Three steps in the top two diagnoses. So what's next? For her, we've determined it's safe to do an outpatient workup because again, the first check, it was less than 14 and she had a normal albumin, no symptoms. We called her up on the phone the next day when we got the results and she wasn't having any of those symptoms. Um, regardless, I'm going to advise her of high calcium precautions um, and that's staying hydrated, avoiding prolonged bed rest, which I'm not really concerned about because she's um, ambulatory. She works, uh, she's a working professional. She's not bed bound. She's not wheelchair bound. Um, and avoiding a super high calcium diet, which is a little bit hard to quantify, but if you can do a quick ask of like, you know what, are you chugging gallons of milk per day or other high calcium foods, um, that can hopefully be helpful. So a quick med check, this is a quick win in terms of, uh, for high calcium. Does she take any thiazides or lithium, which we know in this case she doesn't. We've done a med rec when she first arrived to the clinic, but hydrochlorothiazide, tons of people take and, um, chlorothaladone as well. Um, and lithium, depending on your patient population, I used to see a ton of lithium. So if you see lithium, that's definitely something to think about. So we're going to start her workup because it's safe to do outpatient. So hyperparathyroid is going to be the very first one because it's the most likely cause. So you're going to start by ordering an intact PTH. The cancer workup, uh, cause number two, most common cause number two, you're going to start that after you roll out the hyperparathyroid because it's just less common and the labs are a little bit more involved. Um, most of the time, in terms of reassuring you that you're not like staying awake at night thinking this person has cancer and that you're missing it, most of the time calcium is going to be on the higher side, like a 12 or a 13, and it's also going to be an acute increase and it's not going to be chronically high. And a, a note about acuity, if someone is acutely, has acutely high calcium, they're more likely to be symptomatic than someone who has chronically high calcium um, in the case of, um, you know, chronic hyperparathyroidism that hasn't been detected in a while. So don't worry about her. It's okay. So other causes, I do not want to overwhelm you by listing these, but it's important to know because it's relevant to the workup. Um, so kind of, if you can just start by keeping in your mind, the cancer and the hyperparathyroidism, here are some other causes. And it's going to make sense in a second when I show you the algorithm. So granulomatous diseases, lymphoma and tuberculosis, not very common, but they can cause it. Uh, vitamin D toxicity. Someone's taking a ton of uh, vitamin D supplement. That's really important that you do that supplement uh, med rec when somebody comes in, if they're taking over-the-counter things, you're kind of getting that out of the history. Multiple, multiple myeloma in my mind, I connect it in the, I lump it in the cancer category. It's a neoplastic process and it's a little bit complicated, but uh, kind of a topic for another day, but um, keeping in your mind that it's a less common cause, but it'll be relevant in a second, I'll show you. And then hyperthyroidism, if you have uh, hyperactive thyroid, you can get high calcium. Medications, again, thiazides and lithium are the most common causes. There's a couple of other ones that are pretty rare. So if you have a patient who has rare medications, like Forteo is one of them, which is that injectable osteoporosis medication. The other one I actually don't 
I had never seen it before. So weird meds, double check the side effects. Uncommon meds, I should say, not necessarily weird, but, um, and other endocrine hereditary abnormalities, but this is outside the scope of primary care. So if you've done your workup and you're getting to this point, they definitely need, like in my mind, I almost just like, that's fine. Like, I don't even need to remember the names of those things because they're going to be going to an endocrinologist. And I've done my job as a primary care provider uh, and doing the initial workup uh, and labs for safety. So here's the algorithm. I really don't want to overwhelm you, but I'm such a visual person that I find this really helpful. Um, and if you're listening to this instead of watching it, um, I, hopefully I can go slow enough that it makes sense. So number one, just reiterating again, we're going to confirm that it's hypercalcemia. Step number two is we're going to check the intact PTH. And if it's high, that's one way um, you're going to you know, evaluate that further. Or if it's low, then you're, and I have a star asterisk there because on the next slide, I'm going to get into that in one second, just a little note about PTH. If it's low and it doesn't seem like a type of parathyroid, you're going to move on to that cancer and other cause workup. So this is, this is based on the up-to-date algorithm, which is um, congruent with the other resources that I found. Um, so PTHRP is PTH-related peptide or protein, um, which is related to kind of a neoplastic process. Vitamin D25 is the active form of vitamin D, and vitamin D125 is the inactive form, which is relevant in just a sec. If you can hold on, stick with me. And then um, if you, the next step after that is to check the SPEP and UPEP and free light chain assay, which is uh, that kind of bottom step where you're moving towards the multiple myeloma. So, so that's kind of a lot of information, but just stick with me for one second. So we're going to move to the workup for this particular patient, Laura. Her calcium is 11.5. So number one, again, in order intact PTH, if you only take one thing away from this is just don't ignore high calcium and check a PTH, step number one. The really important note here that I want to make is that the normal range is 10 to 60. And I'm sorry, I, I left off the, the markers, um, the units of measurement here. But up-to-date algorithm, which also agrees with other sources, is that high mid to upper normal range is also considered to be abnormal. So 35 to 65, even though technically it's only elevated above 60. So don't ignore that. So when you're, when you're going through your labs and you're looking through the PTH, like don't just scroll over it because it's not a bright red color or a bolded abnormal range. It's still important to pay attention to the actual number. And you can look up that reference range. I look it up every single time. So vitamin D. So for this patient, I ordered the intact PTH, the vitamin D, and the TSH. And I know I just said that the most common causes are the, are the PTH and then cancer. So why am I ordering things that are farther down the line? And my kind of a real world point here is that I'm gonna, as a primary care provider, I'm going to order the tests that I can do something about um, uh, in the clinic. And so, but vitamin D and TSH, um, also like just quick wins, like uh, let's just make sure it's not that. Because the other labs that are, in, are, are kind of involved, um, these three, uh, the PTHRP, I did not order that at the time and I did not feel comfortable ordering that. Again, the 125OH and the ASPEP-UPET free light chain assay, I think four years in and having an internal medicine physician that I work with, I'd feel much more comfortable ordering those. But for this patient in my first year of practice, I ordered those first three um, to start. And the other note about that is that because she's a working professional, um, we can go back, I'm going to go back real quick. Um, so if you're looking at this management algorithm, it says step one, there, you check the calcium. Step two, you check this lab. Step three, you check this lab. Step four, you check. Like that's a lot of times to come back and get some labs drawn. So for this patient, 
I just kind of lumped them all together because I don't want to, number one, I don't want to lose her to follow up because I work in a federally qualified health center. Um, and a lot of my patients have kind of tumultuous uh, lives and it can be very hard for them to get to the clinic. And I also don't, just don't want to lose her to follow up. And, and I want to make, you know, patient-centered care, I, holistic care. I want to make sure that, you know, she's not getting stuck three different times um, and that she's able to get the, the good care that she needs. So yeah, so those are my real world notes about that, is that personally, I started with the intact PTH and the vitamin D and the TSH. Now as a more established primary care provider with like supportive supervision, I feel like I could also order that, but I probably wouldn't order that right away. I'd probably batch it into two different blood draws just to kind of conserve um, resources based on the likelihood. So, so results, here are her results. So um, I rechecked the ionized calcium at the same time instead of doing a recheck and, and then coming back again. Ionized calcium at that time uh, was still elevated, so it truly was a, a high calcium. Her intact PTH is 59, her vitamin D is, is 40, which is normal, TSH is normal. Um, but yeah, note here, high normal. So she still needs a workup, even though it's technically within the normal range. So let's go back to Laura. She is looking happy still, but uh, she was not at the time. She was a little bit worried and concerned, and I was too. But, you know, step one, um, I referred her to endocrine because at that point, the testing that she needed for a hyperparathyroid workup, like I didn't even have access to the type of labs that she would need to do. And so that's an easy place to draw a line as a PCP in terms of specialty versus in-house. And I'm certainly not going to do the treatment for it. And hyperparathyroid is its own topic, so I'm not really going to get into that right now, but refer to endocrine. And in terms of her other holistic care, um, because she came there originally for the DVT, I'm going to stop her Lovenox because her INR was therapeutic. I'm still going to manage her Coumadin in-house, and you might not necessarily do that at your clinic, but I've got a great algorithm uh, for management um, if you are interested in looking at that. Um, some people go to Coumadin clinics, but it really depends. So smoking cessation, um, reinforcing, she's already stopped, but we're going to continue. You know, you know that's probably related to your DVT. Uh, we talked about contraception and that I didn't really recommend her to do that. Um, not high levels of evidence, but... Anyway, longer discussion for another time. Uh, heme referral. So I was pretty uncomfortable at the time, and, and I'm getting more comfortable in terms of um, DVT and, and blood clot management. There's a topic with, with blood clots of whether this is a provoked or unprovoked DVT, and that determines how long you need to take Coumadin for. And I didn't feel comfortable with it at the time, so I had her see hematology. I probably would feel a lot more comfortable with that now. So at the time, I had her follow up with me in a month. Um, and then three months after that, just to kind of make sure that she was still feeling okay, um, things were going well, uh, and she was able to get connected to the specialist that she needed to go to, the endocrine and the team. So that's it. Uh, leave me a comment below. I'd love to hear from you. What is the number one takeaway that you've had from this presentation? Um, hopefully, uh, rechecking your calcium and checking your PTH. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, definitely leave me a comment below. Did you like this video? If so, if you're on YouTube, like it subscribe and be sure to share with your NP friends so we can reach as many new grads as possible to help make this first year a little bit easier. And don't forget to sign up for the email list at realworldnp.com. You'll get these videos straight to your inbox every week with little notes from me and some bonus content that I just don't share anywhere else. Hang in there. Thank you so much for watching and I'll see you next time.
That's our episode for today. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you subscribe, leave a review, and tell all your NP friends so together we can help as many nurse practitioners as possible give the best care to their patients. If you haven't gotten your copy of the ultimate resource guide for the new NP, head over to realworldnp.com slash guide. You'll get these episodes sent straight to your inbox every week with notes from me, patient stories, and extra bonuses I really just don't share anywhere else. Thank you so much again for listening. Take care and talk soon.